Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jen Wolf, and joining me today is co-host Dusty Jones. Hey, Dusty. Hey, Jen. How are you doing today? Good, good. Glad to be here with everyone. Yeah. So today we're talking with Dr. Anthony Fernandez, who's an associate professor of mathematics education at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. He has served on the AMTE Equity Committee and the editorial panel of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We are talking with Anthony today so that he may share some of his um, experiences in math teacher education and teaching mathematics for social justice was a special focus on pre-service teachers' understanding of systemic racism. Welcome, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you all doing? Good, good. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, as I was mentioning, this is my first uh, podcast, so I'm looking forward to the interaction and, uh, you know, hopefully sharing some good ideas. Oh, wonderful. Um, so can you take a moment uh, to introduce yourself beyond what I already shared? Like, what did I miss? Uh, so I'm, uh, as you mentioned, Anthony Fernandez. Uh, I get asked a lot about my last name, uh, Fernandez, which is Portuguese. So originally I'm from India and the Portuguese were there in India for 400 years. Uh, so that's where I get my last name. I spell the Fernandez with an S and not a Z, which is often how it was spelled uh, when I was in Tucson. Uh, but I moved from, uh, I was born and brought up in India, uh, completed my bachelor's, uh, you know, in mathematics, uh, and then a master's in mathematics. And then I had a uh, this passion, you know, to go into uh, financial math. Uh, so I moved to Hong Kong and uh, for two and a half years, I completed a master's degree in financial math. Um, but then I found, you know, working with the banking industry was not something I envisioned myself doing, you know, for the rest of my life. Uh, I love math. I had a passion for teaching it. And so I switched gears and uh, decided I wanted to do math education. Uh, so this was back in 2000. There was almost no information available on math education. So I had to really scramble to find uh, information online on the websites. Uh, but I wanted to see if I was serious. I went back to India, uh, taught uh, in uh, middle and high school for two years. And in the meantime, applied to the U.S. and uh, uh, chose the pro PhD program at the University of Arizona. Uh, in the mathematics department. Uh, I was very comfortable there because most of my background till that point was in mathematics. And so actually the math education part and the education courses were really challenging for me initially. Uh, so that's a little bit of background. I After I graduated, I moved uh, to Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and I've been here ever since at the university. Uh, I'm really happy here, I have wonderful colleagues. Uh, in the math department, uh, it's, uh, you know, just been comfortable and, uh, you know, they've supported all my endeavors. So I'm really at a nice spot after this. So hopefully that gives a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. No, thanks for sharing that. I, I didn't know that about your name and the history behind your name. So that was, that was pretty cool to to hear that story. So how did you start teaching math teachers? Talk a little bit about your journey in teaching uh, math teachers. So I think the first uh, time I taught math teachers was uh, one of the content courses 
I think it was 302A at the University of Arizona as a grad student. Uh, so that was my first uh, kind of dabble, you know, working with teachers. And they were, of course, a slightly different population to working with, you know, engineering students, for example. Uh, so there was a, a little bit of a learning curve, but I really enjoyed the process, you know, working with them. And then, uh, you know, as part of our regular responsibilities, I mean, we teach content courses here at UNC Charlotte. And so, uh, you know, working with teachers uh, is part and parcel of the work. Now, a lot of credit to the Samela um, uh, Center that we had at the University of Arizona because uh, it, it was there that I really learned, you know, uh, working with uh, emergent multilingual students. And then when I came to Charlotte, it so happened that uh, the population of uh, uh, Hispanics and uh, Latinx students were jumped uh, like through the roof. It was almost like 450% growth. Mm. Uh, so the teachers here were kind of scrambling uh, to figure out resources and uh, uh, things to teach uh, and work with emergent multilingual students. And that's where I kind of got uh, drew from my preparation from Arizona and from Samala uh, to actually apply and to to engage in that research over here in uh, Charlotte. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit of background of how I got in and uh, how I continue to be kind of part of, you know, this teacher education. Oh, that's, yeah, drawing on the, the different resources from your experiences at Arizona and the Samela Project and your work at UNC Charlotte is pretty powerful, right? Yeah. Working with emergent yeah. multilingual learners. Um, Thanks for sharing that, Anthony. So when you started teaching, what was some advice um, that someone else gave you starting out in this role and working with math teachers? Um, I think the it was a little more broad uh, working within math education because I um, most of my work has been like at Samela, I would work uh, doing a lot of task-based interviews, trying to see how uh, emergent multilingual students uh, talk and explain uh, their thinking about uh, measurement problems. And we would choose, you know, measurement problems from uh, NAEP tests and then give it to the students. And these were problems that which showed, you know, very low performance overall of students uh, on the NAEP test. But when we took those same problems and actually gave it to the students and had them engage with it and talk us through their thinking, uh, using, you know, manipulatives and uh, things like that, it was, uh, we saw much improved and a much richer thinking of these students that was, of course, not captured in a written test. And that's how some of my uh, research work evolved. And so when I worked with teachers, I kind of took that thinking and engaged, you know, my own pre-service teachers in doing these task-based interviews because I thought they were really powerful in uh, kind of changing our perspectives about what these students can uh, do in terms of mathematics. And uh, that was a similar experience, you know, for the pre-service teachers uh, actually engaging with the students because I could, you know, tell them about the research and I could be there talking all day long, but it was way more powerful for them to actually interact with some of the uh, students from the classes and do these task-based interviews and actually do a, a preliminary analysis of their 
interactions and they themselves come to realize that the students actually have a lot to offer uh, in terms of, you know, when the communication aspects are broadened to include, you know, these other modes, uh, you know, in terms of concrete materials, in terms of gestures, in terms of them allowing drawings, and in, in, in the way they posed questions for the students. Um, so they learned a lot from those task-based interviews. And uh, I feel that that interaction, uh, you know, getting to know your students is kind of the primary uh, piece of advice that has, you know, sustained me a lot for, for myself and uh, for my students uh, and pre-service teachers just getting to know the students. And so I spend a lot of time also getting to know my pre-service teachers. And as a consequence of that, you know, it's uh, our interactions have improved. I kind of know how to tailor some of the activities so that they engage a lot more uh, with them. Uh, so I feel that, that you know, just building the relationships, getting to know, uh, you know, students in depth both, you know, in terms of the content, but also in terms of who they are as uh, people, uh, makes a huge difference in uh, in teacher prep. Oh, I agree. Yeah, building relationships is so important. So thinking, thinking about that, what are some kind of concrete things that you do um, to build those relationships with your pre-service teachers or getting to know them beyond just a student in my class? Uh, so one thing is, of course, sharing. I share quite a bit about myself. Uh, since I've had such a diverse set of experiences, uh, I do share with them. Um, and then uh, we have a lot of uh, activities where I'm not really lecturing to them as much. So there's a lot of interaction time. And so as I move around and interact with them, uh, you know, they shared stuff about what they're doing and, you know, whether a roommate has, you know, ditched them in a, in a four bedroom apartment and they're trying to scramble to find another roommate. And uh, so they have been sharing pretty openly, you know, about things that not even, they don't even concern maybe the activity that they're doing in the moment. And so I take that as a, a thing of, you know, them, you know, being comfortable with me. And I feel that this time that they have uh, and the way the, the classroom interactions happen, uh, you know, sets up this uh, platform for them to, to you know, interact and, and to develop those relationships. So they're doing the math and at the same time, they're also uh, kind of engaged. That sounds great. And I really like the theme of communication that you brought up earlier and how I see that even working in, it, there's a mathematics activity going on, but you're talking about, you're talking with your students about their lives. You're getting to know uh, them in lots of different ways. And you had mentioned, you know, broadening what communication means, maybe not just written, uh, maybe not just verbal, but also gestures and using those concrete materials. And I'm, you had so you mentioned you have a your last name uh comes from portuguese you were born and raised in india i think you worked in taiwan did you say um, uh, hong kong hong kong, hong kong yeah. sorry yeah. um 
And so lots of these, so there's lots of different um, languages spoken, but still all those different ways of communicating. I'm wondering, and, and then with working with Samela, with those emerging language learners there and bilingual students, um, and also in uh, Charlotte. So it sounds like, at least in the Anthony Fernandez experience, there's a lot of communication in different modes going on. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, I myself speak three languages because I have to. Uh, in India, growing up, uh, you, uh, I spoke English at home, but uh, Hindi is a national language, uh, and so you would have to know that to interact with uh, uh, people outside your state. And then within the state, we have a state language of Bengali, uh, so every state has a different language and mm. there are multiple dialects within that too. So there, uh, language is just, we are just immersed in it. Uh, so growing up, I didn't think much about language actually because it was so fluid. I interacted with different friends in different languages sometimes. And then in school, I would interact in English. At home, I would interact in English. And so that was just part and parcel of uh, you know, growing up. And that's mm -hmm. very similar to, to a lot of other uh, uh, kids, you know, growing up in India, they, you're immersed in multiple languages. So mm -hmm. you do, you have to have that language skill initially to, uh, you know, to just interact with friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, I like how you can help pre-service teachers that may be growing up in a monolingual culture perhaps and then trying to reach out to a multilingual classroom um so that that's great that they can see those experiences and and have those examples right yeah so uh, for us i mean spanish speakers are uh, the predominant uh, you know group that uh, of emergent multilingual students we have here in the uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And in fact, the, the Latinx students are actually uh, the largest demographic uh, as of last year mm -hmm. in the CMS. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Anthony. Um, so your project work, uh, supporting the development of mathematics, pre-service teachers, critical consciousness through statistical investigations of systemic racism. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Yeah, so uh, that work is, uh, you know, um, so the passion for, you know, teaching math for social justice once again grew out of, you know, the Samela group that I worked with. Uh, however, I was actually very reluctant at that point uh, to engage with teaching math for social justice, because I didn't really see the value in it. Uh, so Rico Gutstein, I mean, one of the leaders had uh, done a workshop with the Samela fellows, and I was not too impressed at that time. <laughs> and then gradually over the years and uh, reading a lot more and uh, kind of uh, figuring out uh, the system and the politics and the history of the U.S., I kind of... Uh, got more uh, involved and started reading a lot more and asking questions and understanding and, you know, developing this gradual uh, passion uh, because I started seeing the value. And then at some point I called Rico to do actually a workshop here at UNC Charlotte, uh, you know, with the education and the math uh, faculty and students. Uh, so it, I had that shift in my own thinking 
uh, or although it happened over a long period of time. Um, and uh, I think George Floyd's uh, incident was the one was quite the turning point. So till that point, I mean, most of my research work was with emergent multilingual students. Uh, but that was the first time when I really started to think, you know, about uh, what exactly are we preparing our pre-service teachers to do in the future. Mm. And uh, so that is where this uh, thing of systemic racism, and I was reading a lot of Paulo Freire's work. Uh, and in that work, uh, you know, the way he conducts those culture circles was something that I I was inspired by. And I decided to kind of think about how we could use that and to merge that with kind of giving our pre-service teachers a sense about what what exactly is the systemic racism. Because for the most part, uh, myself included, uh, we think of racism as being individual acts or things, you know, like people say something or post something on online. Uh, but, but most of the harm is actually comes from from the way the policies and the laws and the institutions operate. And so it, that was my initial idea. How do we get pre-service teachers to see that? And so as part of the project, we uh, came up with uh, using uh, statistics because statistics takes us a little further away from individuals to look at aggregates. And so uh, I was playing around with some data, uh, which in this case was the uh, traffic stop data that is published by the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department uh, online. And so you could just go and download this data. And so playing around with the data, we came to see, you know, the a lot of uh, you know disproportionate number of traffic stops uh, happened with black drivers. And so that was, uh, you know, kind of a good way in which I thought uh, pre-service teachers could be introduced to this idea of uh, how racism is actually institutionalized and uh, to look at policing in this case with traffic stops. And so with that, we expanded it to, to something that is more uh, even closer to uh, teachers, and that is uh, the school discipline data. Uh, so we right now, and I'm working with, uh, I want to uh, acknowledge my collaborators, uh, Senia Samikmula at, of uh, Pacific Lutheran and uh, Travis Weiland of University of Houston. Uh, so they, uh, we work collaboratively on this project. And so we have two parallel tracks of, you know, developing our pre-service teachers statistical knowledge and understanding. And at the same time, you know, developing their critical consciousness, maybe over the long term, uh, about, uh, you know, racial inequities and systemic racism. But in the short term, we actually wanted to use these modules that we've designed uh, to engage them in conversations about race and racism in their teacher preparation. Uh, because a lot of times, these topics are totally avoided. And so we want to make it natural and it is just part and parcel of their regular, you know, content development. Yeah, so you brought up um, having these conversations, right? And 
and you and I have talked about this a little bit, Anthony. Um, I'm kind of just curious where you where your thoughts are now. What have you found to be the most challenging part of helping pre-service teachers develop critical consciousness as a facilitator, as a math teacher educator? Uh, so initially, um, it is a little challenging to get pre-service teachers kind of comfortable uh, talking about uh, you know racism within this context. But we found that uh, they usually talk a lot about the data itself. And then in trying to explain the data, they kind of talk about, you know, uh, they've started talking a lot about, you know, why they see the disparities that they see in their analyses. And so gradually we found that they've, they're, they're more comfortable writing about it. But mm. the thing of discussing it in the classroom, there's still a little reluctant, but there are some students who who talk about it uh, a little more openly and kind of share examples and, and that they have. Um, but it's still a challenge. Uh, and we are just new in this work. I've probably implemented it uh, maybe about two or three times in my own classes. And so that's all the kind of uh, data we have at the moment. Um, but we've just started this and uh, we wanted to definitely expand it, you know, share our modules, uh, you know, with the broader public, uh, other math teacher educators uh, to kind of try out. So we are kind of in that stage at the moment. So it sounds like you're in the early stages of kind of trying out these modules yes. after developing yes. them yes. and revising them. And right. guess, uh, some of the things that you said made me... Um, Think about when you're looking at the data, right, and statistics that recognizing that you're talking about human beings, right, right. and then having to think about how, what do those conversations look like or how do I enter conversations where we look at the data, but it's about human beings and policies and things that are in place. And so how do we unpack that in humanizing ways and then think about how can we make policy change? How can we take action, right? Because these are human beings that we're talking about. Right. Anthony, I, we are getting ready to go to the um, AMTE conference, uh, and I think Jen, correct me if I'm wrong. This this will be posted before the AMTE conference uh, goes out. Does that sound right? I think so. If okay, not, very Joel. If it's not true, edit this part out. Um, but uh, it looks like I, I saw. I, I was excited because I saw your name on the program. Uh, and I think you're talking about some of these ideas in a session on Friday morning. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. That's great. Right. Yeah. Travis and myself are going to be there at the conference. Unfortunately, Senia couldn't make it. Mm. Um, but we'll be presenting about uh, some of the initial data that we've looked at uh, in terms of the descriptive analysis and the uh, informal inferential stats that, uh, you know, some of the students have done and uh, their interpretations of that and, uh, you know, some of the conversations that we've had. Uh, and also, as, as you had mentioned, uh, uh, you know, there were, in terms of avoidance, uh, sometimes pre-service teachers may not directly not talk about race, but what they do is they tend to gravitate to other variables mm -hmm. like age. Uh, are younger drivers more likely to be pulled over for speeding, for example? or they turn to uh, gender are, uh, in this case, you know, the drivers identified as women 
more likely to be a get off on a lighter consequence. So, mm-hmm. for example, they more likely to get uh, either no action taken or a verbal warning as opposed to, you know, getting a citation. Uh, so instead of looking at race, they look at some of these other variables. And in our con- in my conversation with them, um, my feeling was that they they were a little more comfortable, you know, discussing these other variables and avoiding race. Yeah. Well, you just brought up the the traffic stop. And that made me think about something that we've talked about, Anthony, that you shared when like you had gotten a citation. And this kind of goes back to the history of your name. And I wonder if you would yeah, want to take a moment yeah. to kind of share that um, that episode that you shared with me with your students. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got ticketed in uh, Virginia, right on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. And uh, the officer, I was speeding, of course, and then the officer uh gave me back the ticket and on the form uh, he had just put down uh, you know hispanic as my uh, as the race and so that was without asking me uh, to identify how i would identify and uh, we do have a north carolina on the license there is a spot for putting in the race but it's always it's blank and i'm not sure about other states but uh, the officers usually in, in North Carolina make the determination. And then, of course, it is a pretty much a visual uh, thing of, you know, of what they think you are. And then they just put that in. I think that was a, a pretty powerful thing that you shared with your students, because then you can start talking about, well, like, well, what's the nature of this data? Where did this data come from? Like, what might be some things in the data that we might want to tease out or question? Right, right. Yeah, and uh, it's also very, uh, I don't want to say sensitive, but it is, it's a, there are a lot of sad instances that are constantly arising out of traffic stops. And the most recent one is Tyree Nichols, uh, you know, but there have yeah. been many here in mm-hmm. Charlotte and in, in, uh, in all, uh, across many states, you know, you have uh, a lot of violence arising out of, traffic stops. So uh, I also need to be very careful, you know, when implementing this. For example, I had an African-American student, uh, you know, had grown up in South Carolina. And uh, she was, when she shared uh, about, you know, her experience in the traffic stop, she had never been stopped before. But she remembers as a five or six-year-old sitting next to her mother and uh, she said that the only thing she remembers is the way the officer, there was some misunderstanding in her. I, I forget whether her mom did stop the car or something. And then the officer came up and really shouted at her mother. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that she remembers, you know, all of these years is the way he shouted at her and her reaction to that. And so for some of our students, it's a very real experience and even more so that drives us to, you know, bring this to the fore, to share those stories and do the analyses and try to think of, you know, what sort of possible actions one could think of in the future. And, uh, you know, so hopefully to bring all our pre-service teachers on board in thinking and, you know, teaching 
and having the passion and drive to actually do activities that touch their own students' lives. Yeah, I think when you bring that up, just thinking about when you're starting an activity with these pre-service teachers and the nature of the topic that you're discussing, what kind of like maybe warnings you put ahead of time or not, um, the work that you do, who would this affect? Like, who are the students in my room? Like, how do they identify? And then when we talk about these topics, how do you navigate that? Um, right. I think there are some considerations as you all have been developing these modules. Yes, we have some uh, kind of some protocols that we follow of uh, kind of putting it out there, uh, explaining that it's going to be controversial uh, and uh, also talking ahead of time, you know, to, you know, students who may have students of color, for example, for sure, uh, to get their perspective and to to let them know how, you know, that it's okay for them to express, you know, concerns about this and and how I should mitigate, you know, the amount of exposure we should have in the class. For example, I... I I avoid, uh, you know, showing a video of a traffic stop mm. uh, because it is too visceral and, you know, I don't want, uh, but I do consult with the students and, and and ask, you know, the student themselves whether, you know, how much sharing is, is okay. So they usually read an article or to, to start off the activity and then they use that as a basis to kind of, uh, get at, uh, you know, the statistics, and then we try to wrap it up with uh, some of the policies. So REN versus U.S. is uh, is one of the laws that, uh, one of the rulings that affects uh, traffic stops, and uh, Terry versus Ohio was the other big one uh, that uh, impacts traffic stops. So, so we kind of look at the patterns they've seen, and then as they try to explain it, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, some of these rulings, but the context itself can be pretty complicated. Uh, so, and with limited time, you have to, in some cases, you know, pick and choose the important pieces that you would, you know, want the pre-service teachers to see. Mm -hmm. So what, what resources would you recommend for those interested in learning more about this work that you've done with Senya and, and Travis? Uh, so our work is actually funded by an IU's grant from NSF. And so part of that is putting together uh, the slides and all the materials for the classroom uh, for uh, teacher prep uh, content courses mostly. And uh, parallel instructor guides that explain, uh, you know, in detail uh, how the activities could evolve and then different points where they could take advantage of uh, in kind of bringing in and talking about race. So, for example, when they are looking at the data, there's the race variable itself, which normally students just look at in, in a cursory fashion. But then I throw in this thing of, uh, okay, can I say I'm white? And then they take a step back and they really get to think about the variable. Yeah. Because if I have to self-identify, what's stopping me from saying I'm white, for example? And uh, so then they think about what is race really? And that allows them to dig in a little more into that variable. So that's how, for example, when we are considering the data, 
that part of the stat investigation kind of brings race in. Uh, then when they are, uh, you know, looking at, when they do some descriptive stats, they find out that uh, whether uh, white police officers or black police officers or Asian police officers, as according to the classifications that are given, uh, they all pull over black drivers at similar rates, around 56%. So then uh, some students are on the side of saying, this indicates that there's no racism because they were expecting some discrepancies in the way, you know, who was going to get getting pulled over. Uh, and then you have students on the other side who, because this indicates really there is an issue with not the individual police officers for the most part, that there is something bigger than that in the, in the policing itself that is driving uh, a disproportionate number of black drivers to be pulled over in the first place. And so that conversation comes about through their own analyses and as they are trying to interpret and explain it. Uh, so that's another spot where we elaborate in the instructor guide about what critical incidents you should pick up on uh, as you as you uh, going through the activity or as your students are engaged in the activity that you can then harness and take it leverage, you know, to talk about uh, aspects of systemic racism. Yeah, that's a great, the resource that you're sharing. So you have these modules and then you have like the teacher kind of companion to go with it, to think about right, navigating right. And, different questions that would come up. Yeah. And then we have an overall framework where we explain in detail our ideas and how they evolved in choosing the data sets, for example. Um, and, and so they they were grounded in in, in Freire's work of how he would, uh, you know, come up with his uh, materials for the culture circle. And so we have a parallel development uh, in coming up with data sets. So we want math teacher educators to actually see and be on the lookout for other data sets they, they, they could potentially harness and, and then design some activities around those uh, that then leverage, uh, you know, this aspect of systemic racism. Uh, so we, we have a framing document that we're also planning to share. And along with that, all of our readings that we've been doing, uh, all the resources are listed. Uh, so we'll be sharing that, uh, you know, with a ton of websites. Uh, so that that I feel is a, is is a huge resource. Uh, I would like to point out equity work and uh, including race, racism, is and critical race theory is very prominent in AMT's uh, website. Uh, the equity committee for many years now has been putting together these resources, and so there is a. Uh, it's a little hard to find that spot in the website, uh, but there are. A, ton of resources that were put out by experts, you know, across the AMT equity committee uh, there uh, for sharing more broadly with the um, with math teacher educators. That's great to, to remind ourselves of that resources the, that you've just shared. And we're going to put those in the show notes. So you'll be able to, our listeners will be able to click away and find, find those resources that um, you've talked about. So, you know, in your in your work, right, do lots of work, you have grants and, and teaching and everything like how do you how do you set boundaries and priorities to get the stuff done that you want to get done while still enjoying different aspects of your life? Yeah, that's I, uh, 
I looked at that question and I don't think I have a good answer for that because, uh, you know, I just kind of go with the flow and, and which pretty much always means that I end up doing way more in terms of work and answering emails and, uh, you know, hanging out with students sometimes, uh, you know, office hours. So that does take up a bulk of my, but whenever I get a little bit of free time or a thing I do enjoy, you know, watching, uh, Arsenal play, so that's a soccer club in England, and uh, you know, hanging out at home with my wife uh, Mariella and our dog Iki. You know, we go for walks uh, around the neighborhood. But yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't think I set boundaries. I just uh, I more kind of just go with the flow. You know, so some days I, I tend to work a lot because there's just a lot of stuff to finish. Uh, but some days I, I, I pull back. And... Yeah, I would say that, too, just having worked with you there, there's a lot of joy in working with you, Anthony, just on some of the things that we've um, that we've done together. But also I've seen your interactions with your graduate students and I see a lot of a joy there in the way that you kind of honor their humanity and I think you set boundaries and priorities in ways that help them develop as like educators and teachers and researchers. So I, I see some joy in that too. I don't, I don't know if you find the joy yeah. in that. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Across. Yeah. yeah. Is so there, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it's, it's basically in the relationships and the interactions that, uh, Keep me going. And of course, I have all my collaborators, you know, from uh, University of Arizona. So I do need to give a shout out to them for, you know, kind of keeping me motivated and, uh, you know, on track. That's good. Yeah, when you can find those folks in our field that you really enjoy just having conversations with, I think it just helps us kind of push ourselves to be better versions of ourselves so we can show up for our students in the ways that we want to that absolutely yeah so do you have anything coming up or to promote we know you're going to be um giving a talk at amte is there anything else on the horizon or you'd like to share with our audience uh the todos conference is coming up in june oh that's right so, todos. yeah yeah but definitely for uh uh you know researchers and teachers it's a it's a wonderful group to work with and uh you know focused on uh equity, excellence, diversity, you know, and uh, includes everything. And the talks are pretty unique. So uh, that's where we're looking forward to kind of sharing a lot of our stuff with teachers. Um, and I think that's, is it happening in Albuquerque? Is that right? Is it yes, in Mexico? In Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I think and, I just saw on Twitter recently, I guess they're having elections now, or the the, the slate of candidates are up for TOTOS. So if you're a member... Okay. But, or not a member, become a member, and then you can participate in those elections. And and if I'm not mistaken, it's June 21st to 23rd. Okay. Yeah. And so that's coming up. And then a big push is we are definitely looking, you know, for uh, instructors who would be interested in, in implementing some of these uh, materials in their own classes, whether they could choose, you, you know, to do some part of it. They don't have to do both traffic stops and school discipline with their pre-service teachers. But if they're teaching uh, some part of their course is uh, in statistics, then it would be, uh, 
useful for them to kind of draw on some of these data sets. And then we could work with them one-on-one pretty much over summer. We are thinking of doing that and into the fall semester. And we do have a small stipend that goes along with it that is scalable depending on how much they want to do and give us feedback on their implementation um, because we want to see, you know, uh, putting out the materials a little more broadly, uh, you know, with with folks who may not be as experienced or uh, spend as much time, you know, working within uh, these ideas, you know, what their reactions are. And we envision this also as, and for those who are interested in learning about the work, uh, to kind of get their feet wet and to, to have these interactions and hopefully for them to, you know, take up some of this work and maybe run with it also. Uh, so we are looking for a broader set of collaborators, that's for sure. To adopt some of these modules and just try them out. Yeah, to adopt some of the modules and 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 have those interactions. I think that would be great too. As um, as laws keep changing in different states too, I could see some of those modules thinking about how would you need to revise them or add to them, considering what are certain laws that are being passed in your state or in different school right. districts and things like that. Right. But right. but you're you're talking about these are modules for math teacher educators to use, not necessarily yes. K twelve teachers. Yes. Uh, yeah. So this would, uh, yeah. So they would be using it with their, uh, in within their teacher preparation. Yeah, that sounds really, really exciting opportunities that you have there for some, some people that are interested but maybe would like some help in getting to know more about this work. So I, I really like how you and and your colleagues are making this available um, for them. Well, thanks again, Anthony, for being with us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I know our listeners are going to get a lot um, out of the work that you and your collaborators are doing. So thanks again. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, Jen and Dusty. Thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that AMTE has another podcast, the Math Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Math Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they have submitted for publication to the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.